Well, I do appreciate the opportunity to be here, and it's a privilege, uh, and we do come with greetings from your sister church up here on Signal uh, Wayside Presbyterian Church, and it has been an honor for me to be able to get to know uh, Pastor Jimmy, and uh, I am excited about ministry together here on, on the mountain and with you all. Um, we are going to be looking uh, this morning at the text that was just read from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, I have one overarching point uh, here this morning in this text, and it is this, that the means, one of the primary means that Christ Jesus uses to build his kingdom among the nations is through the fidelity, the minister's fidelity to scripture and his humble pursuit of holiness. One of the primary means that Christ uses to build his kingdom among the nations is through the ministers, the pastors, elders, fidelity to scripture and his humble pursuit of holiness. In the text, it's also there in your bulletin, uh, the First Timothy text, you'll see he starts out with the phrase, if you put these things before the brothers, what are these things referring to? And, and really there's a number, you can actually look through this whole book, and really the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy is part of the pastoral epistles, uh, which is First and Second Timothy and Titus, and you can see various marks of what a biblical or healthy church uh, look like. Uh, and of course there's historic marks of the church, but here, what, what does it look like to be a healthy a biblical church, and you see a variety of marks that are listed in this book. Some of them he's already mentioned. One from uh, first one from chapter one, verse five: the aim of our charge is love. A second one that a, a church is about the gospel is a gospel-focused church. A third mark that Paul tells Timothy in chapter two is that there are. Uh, he affirms the biblical roles of men and women uh, within the church, the various gifts, the distinct gifts to them. Uh, he also goes through in chapter 3 the, the various qualifications for elder and for deacon uh, and, and what that looks like in a, for a healthy church. He also talks about how a church is a pillar and buttress of truth, defending uh, the faith. And then in our text, he gives us another mark. These, these twin pieces of what a, a faithful pastor is, one who is committed to sound, maintaining sound doctrine and teaching, and one who is humbly pursuing godliness or, or holiness. I do want to make a, a little disclaimer here that sometimes when we talk about a, a minister being holy, uh, we need to recognize that that does not mean perfect. Uh, pastors, as you well know, sin. And, and so when this is talking about the qualifications even in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, the qualifications of an elder or a deacon, these things that should exemplify uh, the person, uh, but they, they are not perfect. They're not perfect. Um, and this is why we need uh, the gospel. Um, in the middle of this text uh, is an affirmation of the gospel. And this is very, very important because there's 12 commands in this passage. 12 commands, and right in the middle is the statement of the gospel. And maybe it's also one of the harder verses in the Bible for, for, to, to interpret. You probably picked, it, picked up on it as we read through that. But it says, uh, verse 10, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, 
especially of those who believe. What does that mean? Well, I want you to see one thing before I answer the question there, but one thing in particular here is that the reason that we can toil and strive after Christ is because he is our Savior, because we have been saved. In other words, we don't toil and strive to earn God's favor out of our obedience. We have it already, and therefore we are freed and enabled to obey him. That's that's the impact of the gospel. The idea here of the Savior of all people, he's not, of course, teaching universalism because he'd be contradicting himself even within this book. He's talking about, he's not just the Savior of the Jews. He's the Savior of Gentiles as well. He's not just the Savior of rich people. He's the Savior of poor people. Not just the Savior of Americans. He's the Savior of people from every tribe and people and language and nation in this world. That is those who believe. That is those who believe. That's what, it's, that's what it's getting at. But I, but I want to emphasize this because you have these two marks of a faithful pastor, but Pastor Jimmy would not be able to do either one of them apart from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's foundational to this. All right, so these two marks uh, here that we see in the text. Number one, the first mark is a faithful minister maintained sound doctrine and teaching. Sound doctrine and teaching. And I use that phrase because Paul uses that phrase over and over and over, uh, eight times actually, uh, in, in this book. Uh, this idea of, of, of committed to teaching, of doctrine. I know today uh, when people talk about doctrine, it, it's, it's, it seems cold and, and not warm. And how could that lead to doxology and worship? But it is, that's not true. Like true, deep, rich doctrine leads to worship. Leads to worship and joy. Or it should. It should. You know, I, uh, you see various things in the, in the text about training yourself and pursuing and toiling and striving. And the idea of training here is the first, there's actually two words talk about training here. The first in verse 6 and then you have another one for, for training yourself for godliness. Two actually different words, both translated to train. The first one is to inwardly digest, almost. It's an in visceral training. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge of what is it. It says the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you followed. So you want your pastor, you want your elders to be trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine. They need to know their stuff. This is why they're sent to seminary. That's why they go to seminary for three, four, eight years for some. A long time to learn basic kinds of things about theology and the Bible and the Greek and Hebrew and those kinds of things. They're to be trained in the words of the faith. And just a little bit ago, Nathan talked about sanctification. It's a a big word, right? Bless you. Thanks for using that here. Teaching us what that is. It's from Scripture, but it communicates such a wonderful thing of God's work, the work of free grace in us and causing us to to die into sin and to live into righteousness. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. The words of the faith. I was with a group of of boys, about 7th grade boys around a table, and uh, 6th and 7th grade boys, 
and uh, and we were praying. And uh, I was in, doing some youth uh, work, and uh, and as they were going around praying, they were saying things like, "God, thank you for." that I'm, I'm righteous in your sight, and you've imputed the righteousness of Christ to my account, and I stand before you complete in him. You know, these kinds of things, their parents are telling me, don't use those big words because they can't get them. They can. But you want your pastors trained in this. They, they need to be trained in this and to know this. You wouldn't go to a, a medical doctor and, you know, you're about to go under the, the knife and, you know, and, and say, well, I've never done this before and I'm not trained to do this. So they need to be trained in the words of the faith, the good doctrine. Verse 11 says, command and teach these things. Verse 13 says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Verse 16, look at verse 16. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. I love archery and uh, and. If you've ever shot or a gun or, or a bow, you know that just a, just a hair off, and, and if you're, depending on how far you're shooting, you could be way off, just completely miss the target, just by being a hair off. If we're not careful to watch our teaching, the application point is where it goes off. The application is the hardest part of biblical study. You can, you can get to what the text says, what the text means through interpretation and rules of interpretation, but appropriately applying it is one of the greatest difficulties. And you see this last, last Lord's Day, last Sunday, I was, I was, we were looking at John chapter 14, and it's in that chapter that Jesus says that if, uh, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. You could see how someone could just take that passage out and use that in any way that they would want to, in all kinds of dangerous ways too. It's kind of like Philippians 4.13. Uh, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, you could take that and, and misapply that in all sorts of ways. So keep a close watch on your teaching. Keep a close watch on your teaching. This honors the Lord. It also is a means by which God grows us in the faith. It's a means by which he, by his grace, grows us. There's no amount of passion that will save you. It's God's word. It's his truth. And so you want your pastor, and I'm thankful that Jimmy is like this, you want your pastor to be faithful to the scriptures, the teaching, and the good doctrine. The second mark of a faithful pastor is that he pursues and exemplifies personal holiness. He pursues and exemplifies personal holiness. The word, there's an old word that we don't really use that much anymore, piety. And actually, if, if I were to say, you know, Robbie is a pious person, um, a lot of people today would think, you know, maybe he's more like a Pharisee or a hypocrite or something like that, or he thinks he's all great and special. He, he doesn't. He's wonderful. But, um, but that's how we use that word today oftentimes. But the word piety is a word that is deep and rich in meaning. And, uh, and I, I hope it would be used in the, in the right way today. Uh, John Calvin, I think, had a great definition of piety. This is how he defined piety. He says, I call piety, and listen to this, that reverence joined with love of God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. So reverence, 
love of God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, they will never yield him willing service unless they establish their complete happiness in him. They will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. And so there's a sincerity to this pursuit of holiness. And it's because Pastor Jimmy loves Jesus. I love the Westminster Confession. I love the Puritans. Wonderful, right? But I don't obey because I love the Westminster Confession, ultimately. I obey because I love Jesus. And this is the pursuit of holiness. And to be clear, really the work, the actual work of you becoming more and more holy in this life is the work of the Holy Spirit doing that work. What God began in you, he will carry on to completion the day of Christ Jesus. But you are called to engage in that pursuit. Hebrews 12 talks about strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's a striving after holiness. One of the things I see that, that troubles me today, even in reform circles, is, is there's almost a gloating of being broken. There's almost a, let's, let's get together, and I see this with guys, I don't know if, if girls do this, but if guys get together and, and we kind of one-up one another in how bad we're, we are, but still within the safe limits of being Christian. And we want to, how, how, how much can I confess and it kind of still be cool? And can I be radical in my confession? And we're almost gloating. It go, but it gets to a place where we kind of just like being there and continue to be in that state. Friends, we're, we're called to actually grow in, in holiness and to avail ourselves to those means by which God grows us. We should be free to confess sin. We've been forgiven. We're righteous in Christ. We should be free to do that. But if, if you are still five years out, just still wallowing and glorying in your brokenness and sin, the same thing. Yes, we're, by the way, please don't misunderstand me. We're going to be, in, we're going to be having sin until uh, we either are called home or Christ returns. But but we, we should long to grow. You know, my, my kids growing up, and you, pr- you probably noticed, you know, as they, as they grow up, you don't really see their growth day by day. I maybe mark it on the wall, but you know, I was looking at a picture of my daughter yesterday. I'm like, whoa, you know, so much change. I don't see it every day, but, I, but I, over time I see it. It's kind of like that spiritually. We should be striving to grow. And your pastor personally should be striving to grow in Christ-likeness. To avail himself personally to the word and to sacrament and prayer. And so often, I know those that are in ministry, you start reading the, the scriptures, you're like, ah, oh, that's a good point. That'd be a good three points for a sermon. And you kind of forget your own soul. You kind of forget your own heart in it. But you want your pastor to pursue and to be about this progression. It says in verse, uh, it says to train yourself for godliness. It says in verse 12, um, It says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So let no one despise you for your youth. Now, Pastor Jimmy is a little older than I am. But the idea of let no one despise you is the idea of, of, it doesn't mean to hate, it means to count as worthless. That's what despising means in the Bible. 
to count as worthless. And so Esau despised his birthright. When David was marching across to fight Goliath on the battlefield, it says that Goliath looked at him and says he despised him. Really, I guess he hated him too, but he, he, he counted him as worthless. Malachi 1, the priests are offering up crummy animals on the altar, and God says, you despise my name. Stop lighting useless fires on my altar. And here, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. These five things that he mentions here, speech and conduct, love, faith, purity. He should, he should strive to set an example in those things. And just like the teaching, it also says in verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself. And I'm going to add there his family as well. Keep a close watch on yourself. I don't think this is talking about necessarily Weight Watchers um, watching those kinds of things, but, but on your, your motivations, your desires. Do I love Jesus today? Do I know that he loves me today? Keep a close watch on yourself. Put those safeguards in place, other brothers to come around him. And, and he's got a wonderful group of elders here at this church. We all have blind spots, and we need people speaking truth into our lives. If, if, if you don't have that, seek that out. Seek that out. Someone to speak truth uh, into your life. We have those blind spots. Let me give you just three ap- applications from the text, three things uh, to take away. The first is this. If your pastor is to lead you in sound doctrine and teaching and preaching, you should be eager to learn and to study and to inquire and to be transformed by the renewing of your minds according to Scripture. If he is to, if he is to maintain sound doctrine in his teaching and preaching, then be eager to learn and to grow in that. What does that look like? Maybe on Saturday night, prepare yourself for worship. Come with anticipation to worship, to feed upon the Word. Uh, set aside time that prior evening uh, to pray for Pastor Jimmy or whoever's preaching. Uh, set aside time to pray for your own heart that you would be prepared to receive uh, that Word. And be humble to, to learn. The Puritans called the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. The market day of the soul. To come and to feast and to, to be filled up and encouraged by the Lord. The second application is this. If a minister and your pastor is called to lead by setting an example to follow, then strive to emulate his example as he follows Christ. I need to add that. <laughs> uh, Paul added that. Uh, follow me as I follow Christ. And so if he is to set an example here to you, that you would strive to emulate that example as he's following Christ, to follow him. I know it, it happens today, and especially in rural churches. Um, you know, you have a young man, for example, and he, he starts reading the Bible, and everybody's like, oh, you're going to be a preacher. And he's probably thinking, I'm just trying to be a Christian. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, if you have an interest in the Bible, then you're automatically, you should be a preacher or, or a pastor. And Spurgeon says there are a lot of people that have stumbled into the pulpit that way. But we should strive to follow the, his example, to follow the, the example of the elder, the, the, the pastor, as he is trying to follow Christ. And the third 
application is simply this, to encourage him. Encourage him. Uh, there is, there's times of loneliness. For many pastors, there's, there's seasons of, of loneliness. They feel like they're in a fishbowl and everybody's kind of watching. And you're supposed to follow his example, right? And he's thinking, oh goodness. But part of that is that he'd be willing to confess sin too. And to, and to walk this with you, this journey, this race of faith with you. But encourage him in it. Encourage his Christine in it. And there's about a thousand pastors that leave the ministry every month. 80% of those highly discouraged. 84% of their wives are highly discouraged. Out of every 20 pastors that enter the ministry, only one, quote-unquote, retires. You need to encourage him. And make no mistake, Satan does not want this man here. But he will try to do everything to discourage him. And for all of the criticisms that no doubt will come his way, that try, to, try to be conscientious of also speaking a word of encouragement to him and his family. May God grant this church a humble resolve to cling to sound doctrine, not having itching ears, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and to foster a growing passion for the glory of God, that this place would be a covenant community of equipped and mature and joy-filled disciples of Jesus Christ, taking his gospel here locally to Signal Mountain, down to Chattanooga, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do give you praise for this church. And we know and we acknowledge and confess that Jesus is the sole head of the church and that he is building his kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So God, we pray your blessing on this place and the ministry of the word and sacrament and prayer that you would use these ordinary means to do extraordinary things in the lives and hearts of your people. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.